All those who are holding tickets outside will get in as fast as they can. I'm speaking not to you, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm speaking to the crowd on the outside who seem to be standing rather reluctant to come in, and we're going to start this very soon. Welcome back to Worthy. My name is John. And I'm Ben. And today we're going to review all of 2022 by breaking down our favorite films of the year, and specifically our top 10 best films of 2022. Obviously, this is completely subjective. Ben and I have not compiled one list, but we each have our own. That way we can discuss and talk about more films than just 10. But before we jump into our list and some of our other smaller categories here, I wanted to jump in and talk a little bit about people's worst films of the year. I think it's pretty often that you see, especially on like YouTube, film commentary, critics, whatever you want to call them, I think it's pretty often that you see a lot of people post a top 10 worst films of the year. And a lot of the times that kind of criticism, that negativity is highly viewed. In fact, it's sometimes more watched than some of the top 10 films of 2022. And I, I guarantee that if we were to do a worst film list of 2022, it'd probably be more watched than the top 10 films of the year. I think people just enjoy negativity when it comes to their content. It's more engaging. It's more, you know, it's it's a hot topic. People want to hear what people hate instead of what people love more. I think that's just common in our entertainment. But I wanted to talk about it just because I used to watch those. I used to be a very big fan, not a big fan of just worst films, just curious what people don't like in a year. But I've come to the point after especially making short films in college and, and moving forward, it's definitely become harder for me personally to just kind of look down upon a film and just call it purely bad, especially when, as we both know, and as we've kind of talked about some of these movies, it takes like a village and a half to make a movie. And obviously it's not someone's intention to spend three to six months, sometimes even longer and make something that's bad. And then just to simply watch that product in such a short amount of time and then just deem it as bad and one of the worst movies of the year. I just think it's it's a little ridiculous. I don't really think it does anything good for not only film as a medium, but really just in general. All it does is just stir up negativity and stir up people hating things all over again. So I wanted to first ask you, Ben, like, why do you think people love these worst lists, maybe sometimes even more than the top 10? And how do you feel about them? Do you feel the same way? Do you think that uh, we don't need these in, in the world of film criticism and film talk? My feeling about people and, lo and their love for like bad movies has, and like uh, we've been around it because I've talked about it before on the podcast, like we have friends who just really love like schlocky movies, just like poorly made products and how I just can't sit there and, and, and enjoy it. So that's one part. And then when it comes to like listing stuff, it feels mean in, in its own way. Like, why would we, like, as you said, like, why are we shit on someone else's art? Why would we drag it, you know, so much when maybe it's just you don't like it and that's a very personal thing. So then when it comes to making the actual list and, like, people reading it, it's, it's a personal thing. And, again, like, there are a lot of people who just love bad movies and watching them and, and, and ranking them. But it's just not for me. So it's not definitely not an area that I enter because I just don't feel comfortable with it. It's not really like if I don't like a movie, if I think of a movie is bad, I just think it's bad. And I, and I, you know, I'll I'll give him my review and say, you know, why I don't like it. But I'm not going to 
you know, want it to be like so publicly known, I would rather people know what I did like for the year, like what movies, you know, felt good to me that I enjoyed seeing that I want other people to go see. So when it comes to worst films, I'm very like, it's just, that's not for me to like entertain, to want to be a part of, you know, and actively do. So I just stay away from the, you know, worst films and like being a part of like what I want to talk about. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely very negative. And I I think the other side of it would be like, well, if I haven't watched a lot of movies and I want to know like what movies I should avoid, I think that's like maybe the only credible argument you could have with something like that, where it's like, okay, if you like this person, you kind of agree with their opinion. They're saying that these movies uh, were their least favorite, and then maybe you could avoid them moving forward. But at the same time, that kind of I don't, you could just do that with a review. If you want to watch a movie, you could just look up reviews, seeing a collective of different people's opinions and say, yeah, maybe I shouldn't watch that because multiple people feel that way and, and maybe I will too. So I, I think there's definitely some some room there for maybe an argument in terms of why it's needed, why they're more popular. I just think it comes down to, you know, people like negativity more than they do positivity. I think it's just more entertaining <laughs> to, to kind of see that and talk about that. So I think it's easy to do that. And Later on in our list here, we do have some other categories, and we do have a disappointing film category, which is just one film. But to me, just saying a film is disappointing is a lot different than just saying it's deeming one thing as being the worst movie or worst kind of piece of art in that year. So all in that, really, just to say, do we really need it? Maybe someone listens to it and it changes their mind on this top 10 worst kind of thing, and it doesn't even just it doesn't just apply to film. It applies to like every medium that we do this with. We do it with music. We do it with books. We do it with everything when it comes to ranking things in an order like this. It's it's so easy to just say, well, what's the worst right away? And I think we should always focus more on the positive things. I think there's a lot of people that probably Morbius was their favorite movie of 2022. Oh my yeah. <laughs> yeah. Morbius is a lot of people's number one worst movie of the year. And Really, if you think that's the worst movie of the year, you need to watch more movies, okay? There's definitely <laughs> a lot worse that came out this year. But anyway... Are you sure about that? <laughs> but anyway, let's not dive too deep into the bad, and let's talk about the good, and that is the top 10 films of 2022. <laughs> Jumping on the very top, I want to just mention some films that we haven't seen. Uh, for me personally, I haven't seen Living and All Quiet on the Western Front, the new remake for, on Netflix, and I haven't seen Woman Talking. And Ben, what are some of the films that you haven't seen yet from 2022? Yeah, so I haven't seen Living yet either, but tomorrow, after the time of this recording, I actually found a viewing, and I'm going to go see it. So... Yeah, maybe too little too late. And then I haven't seen Broker yet, and I'm trying to see another, trying to see a viewing of that probably for the next like week or two. Um, it seems like some theaters are playing it where I am. Uh, I have seen All Quiet on the Western Front and Women Talking, um, so definitely would encourage John to go see them, especially All Quiet on the Western Front, just because based on a Best Picture winner, I think it, I'm not gonna say it's a totally different take, but it's definitely more modern, you know, different approach to than what we talked about from the third episode of, of the series so a lot of uh yeah a lot of movies that didn't make the list um and i'm sure we have some honorable mentions john you want to give some of your honorable mentions for 2022 
Yeah, absolutely. It was a really hard year to kind of narrow it down. Uh, and there's just some films that I didn't really get to make my top 10 list. And I wanted to just talk about them a little bit. Uh, films like Spielberg's The Fablemans, I thought was really wonderful and, and really charming. Uh, I don't really want to go into like the reasons why they didn't make the top 10, because I think we could be here all night if I did. Mm -hmm. um, but these are all films that I straight up enjoyed and, and wish they could be on the top 10. So The Fablemans, Tar, I thought was really great. That Kate Blanchett performance was really wonderful. That, to me, almost feels like a movie if I were to rewatch it. I may even get more out of it. It feels like a very complex uh, kind of look into someone. And it's it's funny that I was like so against watching this movie because I think I'm just so over biopics and it's so funny because this movie isn't even a biopic it's like a spoof on biopics almost and like this like jo inside joke on like the way people make biopics and how it tries to like a, a subvert that expectation and if someone just told me that this wasn't based on a real composer I would have seen this immediately <laughs> But the fact that I'm like, I don't want to see a biopic, especially a biopic about a composer. I couldn't give two shits about that. Yeah. And now I wish I wish I had seen it in theaters. So you never know. Yeah. Well, it was definitely it was great to see in theaters. And yeah, it's definitely a, about the praising of somebody. And, you know, like here are the accolades, but here's the person type of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And the um, contrast between the two of it. Absolutely. The other films, uh, Netflix, The Good Nurse, I thought was really great in terms of just telling this true life story in a very uh, subtle and not over-exaggerated dramatic fashion. I thought it was really, really, really great performances from Jessica Chastain and Eddie Redmayne. Uh, really, really great performances there. Uh, Glass Onion, I wish I could have gotten to fit that on my top 10. Uh, I think it goes a little too out there for me, a little too schlocky. Uh Avatar The Way of Water, I mean, what an amazing experience. I would say one of the best film-going experiences I've had throughout the year. Really wonderful. Uh, films like Triangle of Sadness I thought was really great and, and really great screenplay. Uh, A24's After Sun, After Sun was really sweet. Uh, also another film that I think might grow on me the more I see it. Uh, Elvis as well, like what a Baz Luhrmann nonstop thrill ride that was. I really enjoyed Hulu's Prey on uh, the Hulu channel. It's so annoying that that film didn't come to theaters because it was visually amazing, and it's such a shame that we didn't get to see that on a big screen. Um, of course, RRR from India. What a crazy movie that kind of like took over uh, this year. Probably the most talked about foreign film. What a great time. Such a funny time to watch that, and such a great movie to throw on with friends while you drink. Ben, let me hear some of your honorable mentions of 2022. Yeah, so I also had Avatar The Way of Water on there. Uh, great, you know, movie watching experience. It's a huge spectacle. So definitely worthy enough to be towards the top of my list. Uh, bodies, Bodies, Bodies. I love that. You know, horror like, definitely had a cool new take or twist at the end. So I was very much into that. I love Tar. So that was another honorable mention for me. The weir weird, the Al Yankovic uh, story was awesome and again like how you said about with prey like this movie was only on the roku channel and i don't know if that was like another joke in and of itself but this movie would have killed i think at the movies i think a lot of people would have gone to go see it um i don't know how big it could have done the box office but i think it would have done way better than people assumed uh daniel radcliffe is great and it's just so it's really funny and it teeters on that edge of like bad movies so kind of like what i talked before uh, it's not for me. Like some people may find this to be a bad movie, but I think it does the 
like it teeters on the edge of like yes we know we're doing this like schlocky thing but then they tie in a really great joke into it like scene by scene and it's like oh that's that's hilarious that like i'm so glad like i stuck through that um another one uh not necessarily like a movie you know that i would like put in my top 10 but just some, a movie that i would mention uh because it's so popular is, is black panther wakanda forever great movie about grief uh angela bassett's really phenomenal in her role in the film and it was for what they had to deal with like that's definitely worth mentioning because i can't imagine having to rewrite a whole movie after my lead character in this huge blockbuster movie dies um so just tremendous like work by ryan coogler and then a movie that i teetered on the edge of being my number 10 or not was the whale i really liked it um i there's a lot of criticism about that movie that i don't think is very fair to the movie and uh would love to talk about it if others feel differently but uh yeah the whale was a movie that teed on the edge but it would be like number 11 for me on the top movie list of the year those are all great picks and before we jump into the top 10 of 2022 i had some fun little extra categories i added here just to prime us till we get to our top 10 so i wanted to know what is the film of 2022 that made you laugh the most? It was a movie I saw of you, John, Jackass Forever. Hell yes. And that's also <laughs> my pick as well. Man, I was crying in that movie. The, so the, funny. So, so funny. I mean, the scene alone with them locked in the room with all the lights turned off and <laughs> not knowing what was in the room, if there was actually a snake in there or not. Like, truly Was that called like, The Science of the Lambs or something? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Such a hilarious film, and it was just great to see all those guys back, and especially that they pushed it to the big screens and and yep. re- respected it like it's a full feature film. It, it just it's great, it's great. You know that I think we both have a lot of like history of being in middle school and high school and watching all the craziness that is Jackass and all the Stevo spinoffs and all, everything that came from the kind of Jackass brand. Uh, I think it's kind of close to our hearts. So that was really great to go and see that together and just laugh our asses off. By far yeah. the most I laughed at a film. Yeah, I, I laughed really hard. I love the Jackass movies. So so stupid and so fun. And uh, <laughs> I want to say they're my heroes, but they were my teenage heroes. <laughs> Moving on, we're going to flip it. And instead of laughing, let's talk about the film that made you cry the most in 2022, Ben. The Fablemans made me cry the most. Uh, just an emotional journey through Spielberg's uh, eyes and his own, some of his own personal life. At being a Jewish person, I felt very connected to the movie, so like I, I welled up during some of those parts and just like how familiar some of the stuff they were doing felt. And then again, just like the amount of love that he had for filmmaking, like I was watching it in awe, and I'm like, wow, this is really great. And then just seeing how the main character reacts and to their own movies it made me feel like wow like i love being a part of a community like being so into cinema and film so i i didn't like ball crying but i was like tearing up uh for this but a movie i did ball cry is the movie you cried at the most and john what is that movie that is clerks three which we've definitely talked about kevin smith on this podcast maybe even the clerks franchise Clerks 3 is by far the most dramatic and upsetting and heartbreaking of them all. And I just didn't really expect it. And 
it almost hit me harder. I mean, I'm a really big fan of Kevin Smith. I've listened to tons of his hours, thousands of hours. I've probably listened to him speak more than anyone else in my entire life. And does that kind of, you know, put maybe some, you know, heart shaded glasses over my eyes? Maybe a little bit. I mean, it's part of my growing up. I remember like watching that early in high school. I think it may have been Mallrats first and kind of just diving into his filmography. It's It's been really close to me my entire life, but I think the film hit me even harder because I just wasn't really vibing with the first 30 minutes maybe of the movie. Uh, if you don't know, Clerks is a movie about like a convenience store and this is the third iteration where we have these characters coming back what is like 30 plus years later, I believe. And they're basically trying to retell the original Clerks, which is a person who just made an indie film with his friends. And it is a funny kind of jokey moments in the very beginning that kind of like show us how that process it's very meta insider but it's like I've seen Kevin Smith do a lot of meta things I've seen him do uh just make a lot of jokes about himself about his previous films about even about clerks and it wasn't until like we really got to what the heart of the movie was about and the real like actual conflict of the film between our two leading characters that like really took me by surprise and it went from being something that felt so just tired and just kind of like bored and turned it into something that like may you may call it emotional manipulation but man is it some of the best emotional um you know manipulating that's happened to me all year i i bawled my eyes out in the last like 15 minutes of this movie it's extremely dramatic and you wouldn't expect it from this stupid comedy that started with like dick and fart jokes it would you would never expect it and i think that's kind of what made it hit even harder for me. All right, moving on. Let's do the best film surprise of 2022. Yeah, so mine is Metal Lords, the movie from Netflix made by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the Game of Thrones guys. I, you know, I thought this movie would be like all right. But then I watched the movie and I was like, this is really good. Like the, the storytelling, you know, was very emotional. Like I felt connected to it, you know, being someone who's a fan of metal and played bands in high school like that. It felt like so familiar. It's very much about teenagers and what they're going through. And then the actual music part of it, there's some there's a really great sequence where they use War Pigs as like the track to do like all the edits with. And it's really well done. The shots are way better than what you would expect. And uh I was very, I love the ending of it. I love the ending jam uh, song they do at the end. I just, how, how like in depth into the emotions they get for like a teenager, it felt like was, it was just shocking that I was like so into it and uh, it felt right uh, with the end product. So I don't know if you saw Metal Lords, but I would definitely recommend people check that out. It's a fun movie and you wouldn't expect that. I didn't. No, I definitely need to check that out. And it's it's even more funny because my film is also very musical and very much about music. And that is Intergalactic. And that is a film that not only has Kid Cudi as our lead star, it's also a film that has a score that's all by Kid Cudi, all original Kid Cudi songs. And he's the main character in this film. And it just took me so much by surprise not only is it kind of this weird hybrid of stop kind of stop motion animation it's this 
extremely touching love story and it's a really simple like girl meets boy love story and they take that simple formula and they integrate it with such amazing animation it's bright it's colorful and i love kid cuddy i love his music and he's really growing into an actually pretty great actor so that really took me by surprise not only because he was a great performer in it uh it's just a really beautiful movie it's really touching it's sweet if you're looking for a nice little like hour and a half animated movie that's just a cute little love story about two characters in new york it's so sweet and honestly i think it does some of the best like visualization of new york city itself definitely in this year it's the best like depiction of new york in 2022 without a doubt all right, moving on, and I know we talked about not shitting on movies, not you know ripping them apart, but I think we have to acknowledge just what our biggest film disappointment of 2022 was. Yeah, mine was Lightyear. I was really excited for this. I love the Toy Story franchise. Everyone I know is so confused by the whole like concept of it, which it's really not that hard to understand that this is the movie that Andy <laughs> saw. <laughs> Anyways, I just was disappointed with what the movie ended up being, and it, it just the animation was cool, but it didn't feel like a full story to me. I felt like there could have been more. It felt very like I I was expecting more. This felt like way too obvious at some points. Like it like they really wanted to use like Zerg like because the, the toy in Toy Story two, you be, you're made to believe that Zerg is his father, but not in this movie. It's literally him, and it's. It's a weird thing. It's a weird concept. I wasn't a huge fan of it. Um, so I was very disappointed that I didn't love. I didn't come out walking out of Lightyear like more in love and more excited about it. Yeah, I remember talking to you about that. And we both had such different reactions because both my girlfriend and I like loved that movie. Like it, I, I, the animation alone, I think is unreal. Like it's so photorealistic at times that it's just stunning. And I've been a huge Toy Story fan myself as well, but I both loved you know, Woody and Buzz Lightyear. And I always dreamed, you know, growing up watching the animated Buzz Lightyear cartoons that like, oh, oh my God, it would be so cool to see this like really done as like a full-fledged film. And we got a little bit of a taste of that. I, I get if like people are not, you know, not happy with the kind of like sci-fi interstellar kind of like twist that happens in that film. But you know, I love good sci-fi, and, and while the film does steal from a lot of other famous like sci-fi plot lines and films, I still had a great time. I got to be honest, and I, I love the idea of just it being the film that inspired the toy. And you know, if people don't want to see the real Tim Allen Buzz Lightyear, or they want to see that only, I get it. It's what you're used to. It's what you want to see. So, whatever. But you know, there is a franchise that I do love. Yeah, And there's a franchise that really disappointed me this year. And mm -hmm. it disappointed me so bad that I literally didn't even have high hopes for it. I had like the lowest low expectations for this movie. And it still somehow disappointed me. <laughs> and that is Jurassic World Dominion. And oh my God. I, I've ranted about this before. I think it might have been our summer box office episode. But... I won't go too into it. If you really want to hear my rant about my experience watching Jurassic World, which may have affected my opinion of the film even more, go check out our summer box office wrap up from this past year. But Jurassic World was such a huge disappointment. 
And in summary, you're going to bring these original OG cast back. You're going to just completely discredit them by not giving them anything to do other than repeating the same beats that we've already seen them do. And you're not even going to make a film really about the dinosaurs taking over. In fact, this movie was so disappointing because the marketing just straight up lied to the audience, implying that this would be some globe-trotting huge adventure of them trying to like gain access, like control the world again from dinosaurs. No. No, it's just a bunch of dinosaurs stuck inside another park. No, all our heroes just get stuck inside the park again. It's like, God, God, it hurt. It really hurt. Well, on that note, let's talk about some of the best, <laughs> the best non-2022 film. So I like to throw this in because obviously Ben and I, we do the podcast. We talk about the year in film that we're in for the podcast worthy, but we also like to j watch modern films. But, you know, sometimes we, we try to squeeze in those other films, you know, as many as we can throughout the year. So, Ben, tell me some, one, maybe multiple of your non-2022 films. Yeah, so you put in parentheses next to this, no best picture winners, uh, which <laughs> I was like, God damn it, because um, that would have made it so much easier. And then I thought, okay, let me challenge myself a little bit, because a lot of the movies I do end up watching on my own are related to the podcast, which are other movies from the year of the film we're reviewing. And I was like, I can't, I shouldn't do one of those. That feels, because I've like talked about them before, but I felt like because we're a movie podcast and i felt like because it's so relevant at least I, it still is relevant to me is what the sight and sound poll was this year and what the top film was the consensus top film uh based on the 2022 sight and sound poll it was no longer citizen kane but jumping up i think it was like the 34th spot from the 2012 edition was jean dealman 23 commerce quay 1080 brussels i probably butchered that entire thing uh and but it's a french uh film coming out in 1975 it was voted as this number one movie so i had a chance to go see it in a theater um with one of our friends and i loved it i did not expect i actually didn't even know what to expect with it besides that a lot of people say this is a great movie and it's not your typical there's not like that much it's not a dialogue heavy film it's like a three and a half hour movie and there's maybe like 15 pages of dialogue. So there's a lot of silence in this movie, a lot of static shots. But as you're watching it and as you're getting invested within the film, you start to be like, wow, this is actually. And when you compare it to like a movie like Avatar, which, you know, seeing that in a theater this year is like two totally different ends of the spectrum of what a three hour movie can be. But I also, but I feel like the story in John Dealman was way more engaging and and made more sense. Like with Avatar, I thought, I liked Avatar. I, I, I love the visuals. Some of the story I just didn't love as much. And that's kind of my issue with the first Avatar movie is the story was never really the strong point for me. But John Dealman, like just a very, like, like under the radar, like all of a sudden it just like gets good. And you're like, I did not expect that. And I'm like happy I watched that movie. So it's definitely not for everybody. But for those who are into film who will want to sit through a three-and-a-half-hour French film with really no dialogue, a lot of static shots, a lot of repetitive things, this is for you. That John is a great choice. You. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I had to bring it up, you know, because of, of our platform of, the sh of having Worthy. And I feel like that if people, like, you know, 
critics, directors want to say like this movie is worth seeing. It is worth putting up there. It's like these are important movies to watch. And not saying that list like holy matters like Citizen Kane. It's a good movie. And I can understand like why people would love it so much, but I feel like it got passed over like very quickly once others started using the techniques that Orson Welles did, which was like so innovative for the time that it like got passed very quickly, but people just kept more and hold on to it. Whereas this is like, okay, maybe this might spark a, you know, more debate. Maybe this might spark more ideas and like, yeah, we can have more art house films, but maybe we can appreciate some of the Hollywood films that came after Citizen Kane and be like, wow, those, these are actually really great movies. And we combine it, which is what Science Sound did. And it's a list I wrote down on my phone that I like movies I want to watch. I was like, wow, these seem like really great movies from across the entire spectrum of cinema and, and the entire world. Like, I'm going to enjoy myself watching this. So that's kind of the beauty of like diving deep and like going out of like the Hollywood spectrum of films. Yeah, that's a great choice. And definitely I don't expand beyond the Hollywood kind of bubble that we live in. I think it's pretty easy to be trapped in and especially doing worthy where majority of the films that win best pictures are made in Hollywood and kind of our Hollywood films. So I think it's hard to escape that, but it's great that you got out to see that. And I definitely, I'm almost like jealous that you got to see that. It's one of those films where like people brag about like, yeah, I've seen that. I've seen that three hour long talky <laughs> film with long takes. And I'm like, oh, you son of a bitch. You bragging now. I, you know, it's <laughs> one of the perks of living in an East coast city. Well, yeah, really, just one of the major cities you get to see amazing <laughs> yep. films like that. My favorite non twenty two, non twenty twenty two film of the year is actually a Steven Spielberg film, all the way back from nineteen seventy four, and that's the Sugarland Express. So I'd never seen this. It's actually Spielberg's first theatrical film. He made, uh, I think, about three. TV films before that and this is his first theatrical film and man it is engrossing it's a basically a film that follows uh, a couple that is escaping well she's helping the husband escape basically uh, from a prison and then he's they're driving across Texas basically in order to get to foster care to get their child so it's kind of like a road trip film it's like a runaway film it's got that uh, Thelma and Louise vibe to it but it is so engrossing it almost feels like a movie like Tar where it's like wow this feels like it's based on a true story like it feels like we're honoring characters that exist and we have like real evidence of them but no this is just an insanely well-written film that it just feels lived in and real. And you really like fall in love with these characters, even though they're just, they're kind of the worst. I mean, you're, you're watching these two criminals travel and escape from the police and they're not listening to anyone but themselves and they become like almost famous icons throughout America. I think it does a really good job of like displaying what fame even means, what like being infamous means in America and, and the way women that are famous are treated differently than men that are famous. So it, it has a lot really going for it. And I was just like amazed that this is one of his earliest films. It screams someone who knows what they're doing behind the camera with amazing blocking. And who would expect that from someone like Spielberg? Alrighty, wrapping up our side categories here, I want to talk about something that we almost never talk about, which is television. And we don't have any bias against television. Ben and I both watch a lot of great TV. So, Ben, what is your favorite television show of 2022? Yeah, so I, I thought about this, and like a few documentaries came up, but then 
I really enjoyed uh, this one. It was Winning Time, The Rise of the Lakers Dynasty. Um, I love basketball. I love basketball documentaries. I feel like basketball is a great sport to, to put into a documentary form. I, you know, they hype it up. There's a lot of like interesting storylines, a lot of great characters. And that's what you get in this movie. It's very fabricated. It's not meant to be, I think, taken so literally. I mean, some of the things I think did happen, or at least it's inspired by different events and obviously what did happen with the 1980s Lakers and the dynasty they had. And, it, you know, uh, it just was like really unexpected how good it was. And then the changing of like shot formats to use like actual tape to, you know, using film to using, you know, high depth cinema, you know, cameras like it, it was really interesting with how they edited it and shot the the uh, the the show and John C. Riley as Jerry Buss, like he was just so charismatic and perfect for the role. So definitely winning time. Uh, it was my favorite show of the year. What about you, though? I went for a Vince Gilligan show and it's not Breaking Bad. It's the sequel prequel show, Better Call Saul, which ended with its sixth season this year. And wow, what a great show. I mean, it goes without a doubt that you're expecting such high quality from someone like Gillian who made Breaking Bad, which is, you know, I think hands down, most people would agree that it's one of the best television shows of all time. And I think Better Call Saul is so good in it. It almost rivals how great that show is. And they're both very different. Better Call Saul is is kind of leaning more into comedy since we're seeing, you know, the classic Jimmy uh, character who's just can never keep things straight. He always has to break the law. And that obviously boils up for him. And, and the show does such an interesting way of providing us more knowledge from what happens after Breaking Bad while also giving us this prequel story of how our character even got into the show and, and the time frame of Breaking Bad. But really, I, I just was struck by how you end a show. And the way they ended the show was just so, not only just both heartbreaking, but it was also so like perfect for these characters and at the end of the day better call Saul is is almost a love story and it's a love story about two characters that just they're not good for each other and as much as they love each other for all the ways that you love your partner they just know that they create something together that is not healthy and that's just not something you really like ever hear talk about in anything really like it's something that like you probably would only hear if you go to couples therapy like it's this weird plot device that they use to tell us this troubled love story and it's like not at all what you would expect this show to be about but man everything is great obviously with it being Vince Gilligan and all of his great producers behind him I mean talk about amazing cinematography amazing blocking it's just some of the best made television without a doubt and I can't wait to see what Vince Gilligan does next it's a shame that Better Call Saul is ending but I think and I'm like just excited to see where Gillian goes from here and where Bob Odenkirk can continue and, and grow in his career. So I thought that'd be a great way to end our side little topics here. And now it's time to jump into our top 10 films of 2022. Hit me first, Ben, with your number 10. Well, listen here, kids. Elvis is my number 10 movie of 2022. <laughs> Baz Luhrmann, just Baz Luhrmann over the entire movie. Austin Butler is phenomenal as Elvis. Like, he truly is great in that role. And, I, you know, there's been a lot of biopics recently of male 
singers, Elton John, we have Queen, but this one was like wow. Like this one was really great. It's it's it knows exactly what it is and it, it goes way past 11. This it turns it like 100 times past it and uh yeah, it's a lot of fun. It it's you know, it, are you supposed to take it seriously as like an actual like the history of Elvis? Maybe not, but it's also some of it did happen and uh just the way they they recreated some of the shots, some of the live you know TV shows uh, that he did, and and Elvis's career, uh, really great recreation of that. So Elvis is my number ten of the year. But John, what about you? If I can't dance, I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> I really loved Elvis. I didn't get to put it on my list, but I mean, what a hell of a movie! Like that, and and like Avatar in terms of a movie experience, and like how much movie you get. <laughs> from those two movies is like you're getting a lot for your money that's for sure yeah like the whole like opening sequence of elvis like the, all the crazy edits the, <laughs> yeah. the picture in picture like 20 picture in picture type thing it was insane but it was it's like this is elvis this is yeah. what his life was like no it, it really did a great job of showing just like how he was a person who was larger than life and i think the film is almost larger in life and i thought that was a really interesting way to kind of explore it i mean everyone just keeps talking about austin butler's performance which obviously he is elvis of course and he's great as elvis but no one's talking about just like what a damn just impressive film that is not only yeah. just to compose all of that to bring all these scenes together but the editing the transitions like how much special effects is probably involved in that movie alone is probably just staggering right yeah it's so gonna get oscar love i think it might there was like one rumor out there that there was like some uh, Oscar screening that you know that Academy people, voters were going to that were like going crazy and they're turning people away at the door type of thing, but now <laughs> I feel like some of that momentum has like died away, died so, down. But, yeah, yeah, but we'll see. Well, fortunately, it didn't make my list, but what did make my list is The Northman by Robert Eggers. And I know some people, it was a little too long for them. It gets a little too muddy down into, you know, being a little too authentic, I think, for some people. I think people expected more of a straightforward kind of brave heart, but they got a mix of a brave heart and the witch, which I think is kind of exactly what Robert Ed Eggers is going for. I mean, it is a classic film of his in the way that he loves exploring tone and he loves exploring locations and he really just seems to obsess over culture and obsess over very distinct culture you know whether it is like the witch that like 1800s early 1800s kind of settlement era or whether it's the northman where we're getting into this extreme extreme specific look into this like viking culture and this viking world and uh, what a great performance by alex garzar and anya taylor joy right there just kind of being this beautiful star that she's kind of become over the past couple of years. But, you know, I may agree with some people that it is it. The plotting is a little loose at times. I think it could have been a little, you know, tighter in terms of its story, not just its length, but man, you're not going to see a film that's like as visually engrossing as this really, honestly. And it's going to be really hard to beat that final battle in terms of some of the action that we've seen this year. I really enjoyed The Northman just on a pure spectacle and, and simple Shakespearean story. I think he did it in a really intense, aggressive, and violent manner. But, I mean, I love everything that Eggers has made, and I can't wait to see what he does next. But, Ben, tell me what your number nine is. 
My number nine is a movie we brought up before. That was Clerks 3. I love the Clerks movies. We bonded over the Clerks movies. It felt like, yeah, if you know me, my top movies of the year, and there's a Clerks movie that comes out, it is going in the top (laughs) ten. So Clerks 3 was my number nine movie of the year, and uh, I love it. You know, it, it, it's fun. It's, I love the Kevin Smith, you know, filming. Like I, just, I grew up with it, and it, it became, like, why I wanted to be in production. So seeing, like, their, you know, how he's, like, being meta about, like, making the movie and making the actual first movie was really great. And then on top of that, I got to see it on his Roadshow tour. So I got to, like, be in a huge theater. He had a whole Q&A. He brought out cast members. After the movie, he saw, you know, a big audience, and we all laughed. We cried at all at the same moments. It, it was a lot of fun. The opening with the Black Parade, like, as the... I had heard him say, like, oh, yeah, I know exactly how I'm going to open the movie and edit it. I'm going to edit to the Black Parade. And I was like, okay, very interesting. And I'm watching it. I love the Black Parade. Uh, I love... I uh, just... It felt like so like, yeah, this is this is a movie made for me. And it gets so emotional. And now I'm thinking about like, I just want to cry and watch it again. I just want to watch <laughs> all those movies like on a continuous loop. So I was I was a big fan. It's not it's not my favorite clerk. I think. All right. Hear me out. Two one three. Is that what you think in terms of clerks movies? Man, that's a really hard question because it's like the Star Wars question where it's like, right? how do you not put Star Wars like at number one? Because it started it all, right? But then it's like, well, it may not be your favorite movie, and it's definitely not my favorite one of the original trilogy. And same probably goes for Clerks. Like, I would probably agree with that, you know? And it's hard to say because it's like, number one isn't a bad movie. It's like what started his career. It's uh, like an absolute pillar of indie filmmaking. And it's, it's what, like, so many people probably still look at as to being, like, the golden light of... I can make it out of my small town. I can make a movie. I can make my dreams come true. So it kind of carries all that baggage with it. So it's hard not to to put one higher. But yeah, in terms of just just basing it off the film itself, two, and then yeah, probably three and one, I would have to say. I agree. Interesting. All right, John, what was your number eight? Or no, your number nine. We're still on number nine. Yes, my number nine was Martin McDonough's wrote and direct the Banshees of Inishirin. And man, what a rich, green, lovely film. And this is just a... It, okay, so a lot of people will look at this and be like, well, it's it's a, it's very stagey. It has that kind of like theatrical vibe to it. It's a lot of characters just sitting around talking. But then when you actually see the film, the gorgeous cinematography, we get the like long takes that we get of these characters just kind of taking in their surroundings and what a great story it's like an interesting perspective that people have with this film where i know a lot of people that left and they were just like that was such a dark movie like that was so dark and to me i got out of this film and i was like that wasn't dark at all in fact i laughed maybe some of the most i've laughed all year in any film and yes it's about two friends basically completely falling apart the sister leaving you know, everything just kind of not really working out for these characters, but that's kind of the whole point of the movie. I think there's some justification behind each of the characters and there's 
sympathy, obviously, from Colin Farrell's point of view and Brendan Gleeson's character, where you can kind of relate to him, but he's going way too far and, and even cutting his own fingers off. Like, it's it's absurd. It's a very absurd just concept for a film, but is executed with just so much heart. I think it's one of, like, the warmest and, and biggest heart of a film that I think we have all year. I think it's definitely going to win for screenplay. Uh, this year at the Oscars, and I think Colin Farrell definitely deserves to certainly be nominated, if not possibly even win this year for Best Actor. I think he did such a great job in this film and throughout the year, like in films like The Batman or After Yang. I mean, he has just had a, a crazy 2022, and I think a lot of that comes from the Banshees of Inishirin. Ben, tell me what your eighth top film of 2022 was. So my number eight is your number 10, The Northman. I uh, I love medieval. I know this is like before medieval type of stuff, but just like I love that type of movie. It feels like a fantasy. I love just the look of the movie, the feel. I, I, I get very into these, you know, war, medieval time looking movies. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, so put the pieces together and do the math. And uh, yeah, I just thought this movie was well acted. I thought it was a really engaging story i love revenge films had a great revenge plot uh you know ethan hawk was great in the beginning of the movie it was kind of obvious what was going to happen to him uh i mean i guess we knew it from the trailers as well but it was just told like really well and it's a movie that i would definitely want to see again probably would love to see in a movie theater again uh robert eggers is one of the best up-and-coming directors you know having only made three movies and all three of them are bangers and now he's going to be directing a Nosferatu remake so that will be interesting to see how that comes out but I have all the faith in uh in Eggers to pull it off so The Northman was my number eight of 2022. Let me ask you this because I obviously gave my opinions on the film itself but the movie bombed in fact it may be one of the worst bombs of the year in terms of uh, getting its money back. I think it was around $100 million before um, yeah, before marketing, and it was a, under 70. It was around $69 million that it took in. So that is a, a huge bomb when you consider the marketing budget maybe is an additional $50 million. We're talking maybe 150 for the whole film, and we're not even getting half of that back in its total worldwide gross. So how do you feel about not only just the general reception of this? Uh, obviously, it did really great critically, but of the... The moviegoers. Why do you think people didn't go see this, and how do you feel about it bombing? I think my face says it all right now, John. <laughs> and I know we're a podcast, but of course, <laughs> like, of course, no one went to this movie. Who what, who sees any movies these days? You know, that's I, it's true. Just, it's, but then I could also point at things like Top Gun and Avatar that are making over a billion dollars. Right, but you those know? are but those are big spectacle movies. We're talking about Robert Eggers. Like his other movies were The Lighthouse and The Witch. How many people are going to see those movies? Like it really. Like this was more expansive in terms of like trying to get a bigger audience. There's more money put into it, but these movies are not for like, you know. I don't think like teenagers are actually would be interested in seeing this movie. Like they wouldn't, maybe like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds. But anyone below sixteen probably wouldn't give a shit about the Northmen, you know. It, unless they're into fantasy, I don't think it would be like in their radar. And so. And because of that, and then the older people, like people our age, I just don't think that they're just not going to the movies because everyone's comfortable sitting at home. Everyone probably waited for the Northman to come out on demand. They thought it, you know, what time, like, wait, what month did that come out again, uh, the Northman? Because we saw it together 
So this had to have been like in the springtime. Was it April? Yeah, it was April when I came out. So it's like people are still hanging out inside. You know, I don't know. It, it just it, it's obvious why people want to go see this movie because it's not as wide appealing. And we know that now that non-wide appealing movies just don't do well at the box office. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It makes sense. I just, I you can definitely tell by the marketing they're pushing for what looked to be a bigger film, looked to be a lot more action heavy and kind of you know sword on sword, very intense, but also you know weirdly trippy and psychological like Eggers loves to do. So it is a shame because like man, what a spectacle in terms of the visuals and the overall kind of look of the film the locations that they get to kind of capture on screen it's it's crazy it's crazy that this film didn't even get it's like money back that the budget was but all i can really say is go watch the northman if you haven't seen it if you kind of were swayed away from it definitely spend the time to watch it my eighth best film of 2022 is not even on your list of course and i know it's (laughs) and i know why and that is cronenberg's crimes of the future this is a film i think cronenberg has been trying to make for i believe 40 years if not a little less than that Uh, i think it's one of the earliest scripts he ever written before uh, he kind of blew up with films like the fly and i you know i have mixed feelings about cronenberg i love his gross icky gooey stuff you know i love some of the films that he kind of takes and I love The Fly, for instance. If I already brought that up, I think it's a it's a really great, enjoyable film that's both very kind of creepy and also very entertaining and heartwarming with a love story in it. And he tries to do a lot in one. And I am I was just kind of blown away by Crimes of the Future. And I think it may even be one of Cronenberg's best films ever. And that's kind of crazy for a lot of people. I know there's a lot of Cronenberg fans out there. He hasn't really done something that's kind of the body horror science fiction-y genre in quite some time. So this was kind of a return to form for him. But really, I just thought this was such a sweet film. About a, a film that's so about visually disgusting things like about someone growing new organs and having his lover take them out of them. I found this movie to be like weirdly intimate and kind of charming and kind of sweet. And it's just about these two people that kind of love each other. And it's also about like kind of accepting who you are and accepting this kind of gift that you are sometimes given. It's a very complex film and it's obviously very heavy science fiction and it's very gross. Obviously just Cronenberg body horror it's going to have a lot of visually (laughs) gross things in it but i think at the heart of this film is really a love story and it's a sweet charming love story what (laughs) that was not a sweet movie that was awful (laughs) i mean i'm not i'm not (sighs) disgusted by body horror but it was just it was uncomfortable i did not get any of those vibes about being a sweet love story it's romantic it's like no it's kind of like weird like what like okay he can grow organs and so what like there's just not like i think there's like no world building in that movie (laughs) and i I think that movie is just so like like yeah we're just gonna show his body horror we're just gonna like all the cool effects and it's gonna be like these weird contraptions that he has to use that are like you know, human, but also like robotic and like, we're not going to explain like how any of this works. And it's just going to like, is this earth? Is this not earth? Like, how did this happen? We're not going to say how it happened. 
and uh, it was it was not for me. I, I try. You guys told me to that it was a great movie. I thought it would be good. I watched it. And I was like, "What the fuck are my friends think is good?" <laughs> like, well, me. It's uh, made my top ten for sure. Yeah, and I think it's it's wonderful. Honestly, I think it's maybe about visually disgusting things, but at the core of it, it's really just about you know learning to accept yourself and learning to appreciate. The person that's next to you, you know, really to the heart of it, no matter if they grow extra organs or not, Ben, okay, is the I new mean, form of sex, bro. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> All right, move on. Tell me your number seven, <laughs> God damn it. All right, my number seven, which you mentioned before, was The Banshees of Inishirin. Uh, that movie, it was, that was interesting. You said that it was like funny and like I laughed at some of those parts too, but I thought it was like very much supposed to be dark. I thought this movie was supposed to, it's supposed to be sad. It's supposed to make you question like your own friendships and your own relationships with people. Yeah, and, sure. And I, which I had a good time with it. And I thought the acting was phenomenal. The cinematography is beautiful. I mean, the way they capture, you know, Ireland that way is like, oh, that, that ending shot is just, it's like a painting almost. So McDonough like did a great job of directing the movie. And I just thought that it was, you know, talking about you know when you say it's like a lot of like staging, is a lot of talking, like there is, and then comparing it to like women talking, which I recently saw, and that's literally just women talking. And, and I think the thing is with this is that it it's like a new idea of like about friendship and 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 kind of like building your own life like for yourself and like what you actually want in life, where some of the subject matter and women talking is not that it's been done before. But it's all, it also has been done before, and it's just like this is like woman talking is like fine, but like when you talk about like a really dialogue heavy film like The Banshees of Inisherin, it kind of takes an extra step. It does something that's a little bit different than what we're used to. It it's dark. There's humor, and there's a lot of like beautiful cinematography in it. So for me overall, it's a really great movie. It's probably going to win a couple Oscars. If uh, Brendan Fraser doesn't win Best Actor, that's because Colin Farrell does. So this movie is going to get a lot of love. It's going to get a lot more looks. It's on HBO now, I think. So that's obviously going to increase interest in the movie. So yeah, that's my number seven, The Banshees of Inishirin. My number seven is another film, not even on Ben's list. And that is Barbarian. Ooh. I think it's without a doubt the scariest film of 2022. I think it's one of the, if not the most original horror film of the year. And I've really talked about this on a bunch of different occasions, I think, on the podcast, where I just love movies that just try to have it all. Sometimes that doesn't work at all. Sometimes you try to make a movie that is both filled with, you know, tears, filled with laughter, filled with screaming. There's a lot of emotions that you try to kind of draw out as a filmmaker. And if you're able to do almost everything in one movie, it's a damn impressive. And I think Zach Kreger, who wrote and directed Barbarian, did a hell of a good job. And I think this is so good. This is one of the best first film. I actually think it's his second film because he made a film a long time ago, like over a decade ago. That was a comedy that like never really got off the ground and it was reviewed really poorly. So it's amazing to see him come back so many years later. Yeah, his first film was all the way back in 2009 called Miss March. 
and it was a comedy like dude bro comedy about <laughs> two guys like trying to find a playboy bunny i think so like to him to come back almost 15 years later and direct this horror comedy and make it so compelling and dramatic I was like absolutely blown away. I think Barbarian does such a good job of balancing tone when it comes to the humor, balancing it with how truly terrifying this movie is at times. I mean, I have, it's a classic thought that we always have. You wake up in the middle of the night, you look to the doorway, your closet, the door to leave your bedroom, and you just like think you see something. You look into that doorway and you're like, I swear there's someone fucking just standing there. And then you like rub your eyes and you're like, okay, I'm just, I'm losing my mind. And that is the best way to describe Barbarian. It's like that for straight up an hour and a half, <laughs> just torturing you as the viewer. And I, I love movies like that, you know, and it has this tons of twists and turns. It knows exactly what it's doing. Even down to the casting, it knows exactly why they're casting Justin Long, why you're casting Bill Skarsgård. Bill Skarsgård has become like this horror icon. So you cast him in a role where you're like, this fucking dude's going to be the bad guy. He's going to be the scary, creepy guy. And then, spoiler, there's a lot more to it than just that. And the film just, oh my God, I can gush and gush and gush about this movie. In fact, like talking about it more and more makes me even want to bump it up higher in my list. I liked it so much. And I, I was just so impressed and so absolutely terrified about where that movie goes and and the lengths it takes. Yes, it gets very goofy and ridiculous by the end of it, but I was there for it. I was there for the whole ride, and I was willing to just kind of ride it to the end. So Barbarian is my seventh favorite film of 2022. Yeah, and it's funny you bring up Bill Skarsgård because I was just looking it up, and he's going to be in Robert Eggers' Nosferatu as Nosferatu. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, so, yeah, he's great. I love Barbarian. I guess that would be, like, my number 12 movie of the year, so... It was pretty close to my top 10. Uh, just There's one other horror movie on my list that I guess I will put above it, and uh, we'll get to it when we uh, get there. Uh, but moving on to number six, I went with Top Gun Maverick. And wow, that movie was... Like, that could have been my biggest surprise of the year. Like, I went into that movie thinking, all right, it's just going to be really cool, like, you know, just fun, like, Broy stuff. It's going to be a lot of like planes and all this shit. It'll be you know similar to the first movie, but it takes it. It just goes so much farther than my expectations. Like I did not expect the cinematography to be what the cinematography was, and seeing it on a big screen with like huge sound was like riding a roller coaster with it. It's so there's so much tension. That first scene is so tense, and like you're. You're like literally all the grip on the edge of your seat and the way that, you know, some of the shot choices in that sequence when they go like right to the clock, like uh, the speedometer when he's going like to 10 G. It's insane. Like he, it's so such a great use of camera, such great approach to filmmaking with some special effects, but a lot of like in camera effects, like they really were flying fighter jets themselves and going at these crazy top speeds. So I, uh, Top Gun Maverick, uh, one of the best movies. It has no business being as good as it is. And this movie like, has a legitimate argument to be the best picture winner of the year. Like, There is actually a legit argument for it. And Tom yeah, Cruise has a legit argument for best actor. I'm just going to say that, too. Yeah, it's crazy. That would be honestly amazing to see him nominated. If that did happen, that would be like 
honestly just exciting. Just it's just amazing seeing how like high this movie really has flown, and you'll definitely see it later on my list. But my number six is a Korean film. In fact, I think it might be the only non-American film on my list now that I'm looking at it. Yes, that's true. And that is Decision to Leave. And this is a Korean film that is, again, I'm now putting this together as well. I I just have a thing for twisted love stories, I guess. This is another film that's about twisted love story, and it's about a detective who's investigating a man who kind of fell while while climbing a, a tall mountain. And there's maybe some suspicion around the wife who may be involved in the murder. And it seems like a kind of straightforward story that then takes tons of twists and turns and does a lot of really great stuff with its camera work, really incredible transitions. Like if you were to give the best editing cinematography award purely based on transitions, this film would win hands down over any other film this year. It is, it's honestly unbelievable at times. It's the way you watch a film and you're like, what? Like, was that in a script? Did they just make that up on the day? Like, was that always there on paper? The way they can transition from scene to scene and characters kind of transition into a scene before the first scene ends. And I know that sounds like it doesn't make any sense, but when you watch the film, you'll definitely understand what I mean. And just some amazing, amazing camera work and just tons of constant like Spielbergian kind of push in, dolly out, like really amazing, amazing cinematography. And this movie will just keep you on the edge of your seat the entire time. Like as soon as you think it's climax, it just has another two climaxes coming right after it. And wow, I was really, really blown away by this. And I was so saddened that I didn't get to see this in theaters. I got to see it on the iPad while traveling in a car. So that kind of pains me as someone who loves movie theaters, but really encouraged to check out decision to leave but ben let's move on and tell me your fifth favorite film of 2022 my number five is everything everywhere all at once this movie i was did not know what to expect with it and then you know i was you know you see posters for it you know you hear about like oh it's another 24 movie so i'm like okay like i'm definitely gonna go see it seems like a fun time and then I start to hear like, oh, no, this is a really great movie. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. And then I go see the movie. I'm like, that was a really great movie. And it was <laughs> original. It was fun. Michelle Yeoh kicks ass in the movie. She like so many different genres you cover in that film. The editing that like if that movie doesn't win best film editing, there's something wrong uh, with voters because <laughs> there, there's a crazy sequences in that. The rock scene is pure, just the human condition, just one of the most like using rocks is like humanistic almost with that scene. So <laughs> it's a great movie. I, I was talking to somebody today at work and they were like, Oh yeah, I have to just go see that movie. I'm like, you still haven't seen this movie. Like, isn't it <laughs> like on all, like it's, it's on HBO or Hulu. Right. So like it has, it has to be accessible for some people. So I know, I, I think it's still in theaters. Like it's been one of like the longest running films in theaters all year. Maybe Top Gun is probably the only film that's beaten it really. Yeah. In terms of uh, how long it's been in theaters, yeah. So but that goes. I, yeah, I mean, I I love the movie, so it's gonna get a lot of Oscar love. There's a lot of seems to be some groundswell that this is like it's starting to take over the Fablemans potentially for Best Picture. I I still think it won't win Best Picture, but I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the day that it does. So 
saying that right now, potential Oscar winner for Best Picture, Everything Everywhere All at Once, but probably not. But yeah, that's my number five of the year. I will have more to say on that film very soon, but my fifth favorite film, we're getting into top five now, fam. It's getting serious. It's getting real. My fifth favorite film of the year is Jordan Peele's Nope. And I love this movie so much that I'm willing to say it's his best movie that he's ever made. I love... (laughs) What's that face, you son of a bitch? (laughs) I love this movie so much. And it's a movie that I saw twice in theaters. It really grew on me after I saw it the first time. It's one of those movies where they did a great job of hiding the marketing. And they built the mystery like they seem to do for all of his films is creating the mystery of why and what and who. And this is a perfect example of amazing marketing just enticing you by the fact that, oh, I think there's aliens. This is an evasion film. Like, what exactly is this? And I've I spoiled a lot of the films so far on my list, but I won't spoil Nope. I just think Jordan Peele has really taken it to the next level when it comes to this film in terms of his budget. Obviously, it has been blown up. We're really seeing that with these huge IMAX cameras. I'm really saddened that I, that it was pushed out of IMAX theaters. Um, I forget what pushed out of theaters, but I think it was actually Wakanda Forever, which pushed it out of the IMAX theaters. But I really wanted to see this in IMAX. I wish they would re-release it just to give us another chance to see it in the real format that it's supposed to be in. But I just was really, you know, it's not very often that you see a film about a brother and sister and the love that a brother and sister share and like the bond that you have and the bond that you have just not only from being family, but from losing a loved one, from trying to work through hardships, whether it's a science fiction hardship like we see in this film. I just love different kinds of stories. And I don't think it's really easy to make a film that's about a brother and sister like that. And while also interweaving other characters, interweaving the sci-fi story, you know, making it also about this like a separate story about this, you know, you know, I'll leave it at that. I don't want to go too into (laughs) Nope. If you haven't seen it, really check out Jordan Peele's Nope because it is fantastic. Ben, what is your fourth favorite film of 2022? So I, w- I wish I had said this before we even started in the ranking. You know, some of this is just like very arbitrary for me for like how I rank movies. And I just, I threw this movie on there and I knew I wanted to like really, really put it high up just because <laughs> I knew your, he, I knew that would be your reaction. <laughs> um, I was surprised it's on my top 10. I, I wouldn't even have thought when, the, when I saw this movie that I would, be like this fascinated by it and actually think appreciate the originality i feel it's very original i haven't seen a movie that does that and the ending of it was was so sinister so my number four movie of 2022 is smile i just love the concept i thought they did such a for something so simplistic of like this monster comes after you and like before you see it, the person who's like possessed by it is like smiling really menacingly. And like the marketing for that was great. The poster for that is great. I have like the poster on my computer up right now and I'm like, I'll get that away from me. (laughs) And just the way it shot this, there's this one scene, there's this one scene that I just love so much because it's so sadistic and creepy and I won't spoil it. I won't talk about it right now. 
Um, but it, it it got me in the theater where I was like, oh my, oh my God, it's probably in the theater with me type of thing. And <laughs> I'm not saying this is like a movie that's like so underrated that people aren't talking about it and like they, they need to appreciate this more. This is like just a personal thing for me. But I love Smile. I love the way it ended. I was not expecting that ending and the result of it and such a psychological movie. Really, uh, I had a great time watching it. Um, I might want to watch it again just to like, I get to like, I have some family that likes horror movies, so they listen to some of my recommendations. I was like, watch Smile, watch Smile. You have to go watch Smile. So maybe I'll watch it with them. You know what? I, I give you shit for it, and it's not because I hate the movie. You know, I, I just think it's it's a movie that shouldn't be as good as it is, right? It's a right. movie that uses a lot of horror tropes in terms of jump scares and cueing music and, you know, having a head twist out when you're not expecting it to, a smile to be seen here. And it is an interesting idea for a horror film. I'll definitely give it that. I'll definitely give it that it's very scary. You know, if you're going to do cliches and horror, like classic jump scares, you better pull them off. And I think the movie does a really good job of doing that. Uh, I wanted to pull it up. First of all, what do you think the budget of Smile is? What did they make that movie for? Uh, not even, maybe 10 million at the most. It was made for 17 million, okay. which is extremely just low in general. I think without a doubt, it's the lowest budget film on both of our lists. And it was originally supposed to be sent to Paramount. And because of reactions from audience, it got such a crazy reaction from people screaming and yelling about how creepy it was that they were like, wow, this has, you know, theatrical potential. Send it into theaters. The movie has made $216 million now. Yep. On a $17 million budget. So it's by far the biggest, you know, box office success in terms of its budget to, to you know, box office. It's it's really incredible. And I, I think Sosie Bacon, who is the lead in that film and is the daughter of Kevin Bacon, a, a classic Nepo baby. It's the year oh, of no. Nepo babies. Not, not, not the Nepo baby. And I'm not going after her for being a Nepo baby. I think we had a great conversation about Nepo babies that maybe we'll save for another podcast. But I thought she had an incredible performance for someone who hasn't been in many things. I, I remember seeing her in uh, Mayor of Easttown, and she was really wonderful in that. But, you know, I thought this was a great lead performance. I thought she had a lot of potential of, like, where we can go from here in terms of, like, her just authentic, just truly terrified performance throughout this movie. And I just like was thinking it must be awful to make a movie like this where you just like are constantly distressed and supposed to be anxious and <laughs> supposed to be looking over your shoulder. Like, and you have to live like that for like three months. So God bless her. Yeah. The Nepo baby that she is. <laughs> yeah. It, it, I do not want to see a, a smile too because of the way this movie ended. Like, I think it very much proved that like, you can't continue the story of how they they end it. It would just be the same thing, kind of. I think repeated. So yes, it will. It, and yes. I, I I completely almost I completely disagree with that. I think not oh, only no. will they make it, not no. only will they make it, they'll pick it up right where it last it ended. No. They'll pick it up right where it ended and continue the story forward because it no. made so much money and it has perfect potential to be picked up for a sequel and continuing that chain. Oh. So. No, it's prepare so to good. be disappointed. It's so pure. <laughs> it's so pure and original, and just so 
oh no don't don't sequelize it just think of other things think of like how else we can th- be creative well, this is creative I'll, use I'll really tell you about something that's uh truly yes. creative and original yes and, and that's before, my I, before, before you what? say what your number four is i wanted to put this on my top 10 i really did but i knew i sort of knew you would put it on there and i was okay like okay at least he represents it but there is You'll you'll say it and we'll we'll talk about it. It's crazy that you put Elvis over top of this, but my number four <laughs> top ten film of 2022 is Damien Chazelle's Babylon. And if you've been following Worthy, you've been following the podcast here, you know that I'm a huge fan of Damien Chazelle. I, I absolutely love every film that he's ever made, except for his first film, which I still haven't seen. I'll, I'll get to it eventually, Mister Mister Damien. I'll definitely get there, <laughs> but I loved Babylon. I loved it way more than I really was even expecting. I think the film got a lot of criticism and it got a lot of flack. I think there's a lot of people that just don't really want to see a movie all about Hollywood. And it's funny because the movie is, yes, it's all about these people in Hollywood, but it's intentionally showing the underbelly of Hollywood and it's showing the messiness of it, how you can be a star one minute and forgotten the next. And it, you know, I tried to make a top 10 that has varying degrees of not only genres, but different kinds of films. And I think when I get to the top five here, it's kind of a lot of films that I've seen more than once. I'm definitely going to go see Babylon again in theaters before it leaves because I was just enthralled by this story, this this kind of winding road of chaos and drugs and piss and shit and everything that's in this movie. It is just overwhelming, and that's the intention. And it's showing this the messy situation that was Hollywood. And obviously we get a lot of joy and we get a lot of out of it than probably a lot of others that don't. You know, starting this journey at exactly 1929 with the first Best Picture winner and then like jumping into this movie taking place almost right around the same exact time. It felt weirdly kind of personal in in, in a way because of this journey that we've been on throughout cinema. And this film, not only does the film do this, but it kind of takes our central character played by Diego Calva and it takes him on a journey that you just don't really expect. And obviously the journey has a lot of highs. It has a lot of lows, but the film is not just a story. And that's kind of really what I want to talk about is that films can be more than that. They can tell a story that maybe gives a message. Sometimes the characters can give messages that you may not agree with, or maybe even the film itself doesn't agree with. And this film does this weird thing where I'm, I'm really trying not to spoil it, but the film takes us into the eyes of, of our protagonist it kind of shows his imagination in a way and it kind of takes us beyond and i thought it was one of the most fascinating endings to any film that we've seen this year and what a bold bold movie you know i'll take a movie that is just bold as all hell it may have some issues here and there it may be definitely too long but if you're willing to just swing and really try to knock it out of the park i don't care if you've missed a couple of those swings but I think this movie connects and it lands. And I thought it was absolutely enchanting in the best way possible. Yeah, I, I love Babylon. And uh, I like kind of wish to put it in my top 10. But again, like I knew we would get to talk about it. To me, the movie, the faults were way too prevalent, though. Like it is too long. There's 
there's a good like 15 minutes. I think you could have taken out of the movie, and I think it would have made the same points go faster and, and faster. I, I, you know, I love the ending. I think that the ending is extremely bold. It's very much a uh, it. It's very much Damien Chazelle saying like movies are here it is a part of us it, there's a reason why it's been so so intertwined and, and a part of culture and why it's so highly regarded like yeah there's a lot of piss and shit involved in it and it's maybe not the most like artistic art that you think of but at the same time it, it's provided so much for culture for community uh so i love the ending but yeah to some of the partying not that I don't like it, but it it felt like so excessive to a point where it's like, okay, I kind of get it. So I wish it could have been more streamlined, but then some of the scenes where, like the two big scenes of uh, the old Hollywood before sound and then the Hollywood with sound, and I won't say much more than that, like those two scenes and sequences are like why, like I, like it's so fat, it's so fascinating. It's why I love old Hollywood, love learning about that history of it. And uh, it, it's a fun time, but I just think that some of the faults, like you say, like they take swings and it's like huge swings, but I, because they don't land for me, it's like why it falls like out of my top. Which 10. is totally fair. I, I think maybe even on a second viewing, because I'm not so enthralled by the actual technical process of making it you know i think a lot of times when a film is so technically impressive i can just get caught up and wow like how the hell did they do that in a way that kind of adds points for me to a film and i think definitely the the party sequence is like so impressive in just terms of like how they physically pulled that off uh, and it's definitely probably too long though i would probably agree and, and yeah there are probably sequences or moments that you could probably cut out but just I even saw this on some people's worst films list of the year. And, and that is like insane to boo, me. Like boo. <laughs> that, that is like unreal, like purely technical. If you were to just watch this movie, like how could you ever think that this is one of the worst movies of the year? It's and they probably joke. have like turning red as like their top movie of the year. <laughs> hey, 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 no bashing turning red. That oh, was a I'll cute bat- film. I will. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. God, you can't, you can't soul. say shit. You didn't even finish that movie, okay? I couldn't finish that movie. God damn it. Okay, move like, on. Tell me how <laughs> three, son of a bitch. Moving on to a movie which I saw with twice within a three-day span when it came out in both Dolby and IMAX, and a movie that I put on again, The Batman. That movie was so good. I, like... When I saw The Dark Knight as a kid, I was like, this movie is top level. Like, I knew how great that movie was. <laughs> and I'm not, I am not saying this movie is like at that level, but it's not that far behind. It like, <laughs> it really isn't. It's a truly phenomenal movie. The score, it did not make the Oscar shortlist for score, which is stupid. It, it, it makes no sense why, like, any other score this year would be better than what was composed for this movie. It is. Phenomenal. Matt Reeves did a great job directing the movie. I, Robert Pattinson was a great choice to play Batman and Bruce Wayne. I I remember walking out of that movie. I saw it with you. I remember walking out and being like, I've never seen a, a character and a superhero being like, I want to fucking die. I would rather <laughs> that I get killed right now than keep living. Like that was his whole persona. Uh, yeah, the Nirvana music put into it. The uh, the way it's shot, you know, the Riddler is a great villain. It, it builds this huge world. I'm excited for the next one. To, like I was a, like 
as soon as that movie was over, I went right into the subreddit for it. I was looking at what everyone was thinking, what they were saying, what like what they want to see in the next movie. So I, I love it, and uh, I'm very hopeful and excited to see where the next. I think it's they're gonna do two more of these Batman movies with Matt Reeves and Pattinson. So I'm a big fan of the Batman. I'm a big fan of that movie, the way it looks. It like it should it should get way more love and way more attention, like the Top Gun Maverick level attention. Uh, everything everywhere all at once attention, and it's not, and I don't understand why. But Batman's my number three of the year. It's it is hard to say why. I won't go too much into the film because it'll uh, spoiler appear again on my list. But it's interesting why it hasn't kind of stayed in the way that Top Gun has. Maybe because Top Gun came out still three months after it, so. That could just be it. It could just be people really just enamored by the the flying sequences. And I don't know, maybe people are over Batman. Maybe Batman has peaked with the Dark Knight trilogy and they're moving forward. I don't know. Maybe they just don't want Patterson as Batman either. There's a lot of things it could be, you know? I mean, it's better than, you know, the Dark Knight Rises. At least to me, I, I liked it better. Oh, I agree. I agree. I just I want to talk about the Batman. So, <laughs> so my number three is your number six, and that is Top Gun Maverick. You said you did a great job summarizing this movie. I saw this movie three times in three different types of quality. I saw this movie uh, in IMAX. I think it was actually Dolby the first time I saw it. Then I saw it in 4DX, which involves the moving chairs, shooting out water, jet streams. Uh, sometimes it'll snow. In fact, when they do the final mission, it's literally started snowing in the theater. It's so <laughs> cool. Uh, like I saw this movie more times than I saw any other movie throughout this year because it was just an absolute thrill ride. You know, there's n no other movie other than Avatar that I could point to this year that absolutely takes you on a journey and it takes you on something that feels like an experience by the time you get through it. And it's, this may seem bad in a lot of ways, but it's almost like a video game in the way that like, we here is our goal. We set up our mission and it's this. It's like the plotting of this film is literally ABC. Like it couldn't be more simple of a, of a film plot. It's just, this is what's so fascinating about movie making is that movies are uh, formulas. Literally, we have formulated just the hero's journey into a formula. So there's so many formulas that make up the movie formula. And we've gotten it down to a point where you can try your hardest. You can really get some of the best people to help you make it, to be in front of the camera, behind the camera. And it, you can just still run into issues and problems that just forever ruin parts of the movie. And... To make a movie that takes place in the sky for most of it and they actually do it and film it all in camera and have it done in a way that's completed that you can tell what's going on. You can feel where characters are. You understand the editing at such a like rapid speed. It's just like phenomenal that they were able to do this. And it's like, of course, that's why the plot is so simple, because there's so much more to do in this film than just take your characters from A, B and C in the story. So it is unbelievable as a film because it's just that perfectly made and, and it's just dazzling. I mean, it's, it truly made me grip my seat. Like you're, it's truly like that. You want to like tear the foam out of your theater seat when you watch that movie, because it is just all high velocity. It's, it's, it's still unbelievable that they made that movie and they made it in the way that they did. And it's so funny too talking about it on this podcast. Cause we started with wings and even way back 
way back, almost 100 years ago now. It's funny how much time has changed. And I wish... Okay, I'll leave it at that. I, I really want to spoil <laughs> some of these movies. But uh, yeah, I absolutely love Top Gun. It's my third favorite film of 2022. Ben, what's your second favorite film of 2022? So I went back and forth with mine one and two. Uh, and I, for a while, this was my number one. But uh, the other movie I put number one, which I'll get to, um, just I decided at the end of the day, like I think that that is my favorite movie of the year. But this movie that I really loved was Empire of Light, Sam Mendes movie starring Olivia Coleman. It just had everything that I look for in a movie. It's dramatic. There's romance and love. There's great cinematography, engaging story. It's about cinema. It's about, you know, a lot. There's a few sequences where they talk about using a projector and how, when you really think about it, that all uh, that all film is is just light with just different colors being splashed in front of it. Like, that's such a beautiful way to put it. And uh, so I really enjoyed it. The movie uh, had a lot, it had a lot to do with race, but did it in a different approach, different way, uh, about really about a love between a younger guy and an older woman. It had a lot to do with uh, mental health and, and, and being aware and being okay to not be okay and getting help. Uh, and it, it really, it's a dark journey, but there's a lot of, like, hope and light at the end of it, literally Empire of Light. And uh, it also featured some just great rude boy music uh, from the coastal towns of England. Like, I love that type of music. So I just had everything. It really felt like Sam Mendes was, this was a life, like, it had. It felt like a very personal movie. Like, I feel like he had to, like, maybe he grew up in a seaside town in, in the UK. Maybe he had an, an art house cinema called The Empire of Light or something similar uh, to it. So I uh, really appreciate that movie. And it it's not getting all the love and attention. I think it's because it was so limited, but it's a really uh, very underrated movie. And um, I would implore people to go watch it. It's, it's has a great heart, great acting. Uh, again, the beautiful cinematography, Roger Deakins was the cinematographer for it. So, you know, you're going to get great just overall quality when it comes to the, the, the pictures and, and the film itself. So uh, Empire of Light was my number two. That's interesting because I've seen a very mixed reaction to that that film in particular, and it seemed like before it came out, it was going to be like a front runner, like everyone's talking about it, and now I feel like literally no one's talking about it. It's all of the turning red people. <laughs> Moving on, my number two is your number five, and that's everything, everywhere, all at once. Michelle Yeoh. What an absolute legend. What an absolute legend. And I was actually watching her actor on actor with uh, Kate Blanchett. I think it's Variety that does those on, on YouTube. But really great little videos that have actors interviewing each other. And Kate Blanchett was describing everything everywhere all at once as being this perfect film that almost like summarizes her career in a way. Where obviously, yes, we have the mixed martial arts, but we show so many aspects of not only who Michelle Yeoh is, but who, what women are really and what mothers in our lives mean and what women do for the world and how just as simple as a mother-daughter relationship can drastically change the world. It's, it's such a sweet movie that has like no right of being as charming and endearing as it is. And then it's also this weird science fiction movie about 
alternate realities and, and interacting with your variations of yourself and uh, a reality where your fingers are hot dogs and uh, a reality where there's butt plugs as awards. And like it just goes the Daniels cross a line that yeah, I would just never expect that line to be crossed. And they do it in a way that's now becoming an Oscar film, a nominated film, a worthy film. And they have a, made a film where people have hot dog fingers, where people shove uh, dildo awards up their butt. And all at the end, you can still cry. <laughs> like, it's unbelievable, the film that they made. It has no right being as good as it is. And it, it just, it is. It's just so unbelievable and the nods to other universes the nods to films like ratatouille to um other classic uh, chinese cinema and i'm blanking on the director's name but like just such great film references such great references to michelle Yeoh's own life and her career just what an absolute wonderful film so close to being my favorite film of the year but it was just beat it out by one film in particular but before I say what that is, Ben, tell me your favorite film of last year, 2022. My favorite movie was The Fablemans. I said it was a movie that made me cry the most. I felt a huge personal connection to the movie as an American Jew, just like Steven Spielberg. Um, this movie, it's it's so beautiful and just was not expecting it to be what it was. I didn't. I, I really didn't know what the movie was going to be about. And then seeing opening sequence about the greatest show on earth and it's like we had fun talking about that movie we both didn't love it we both were like yeah it's not worthy of a best picture winner but you can just tell and like we talked about how much spielberg liked that movie but you can just tell like he truly loves that movie because of how inspiring it is and then that automatically was just like well what are the movies that i love like what are the sequences that i love that i would take my toys and, and recreate and, you know, I think of Star Wars, I think of Lord of the Rings. I, you know, it, it's truly, it, it, he does such a great job of, of telling stories, of capturing emotions at every age group. Like, he knows exactly what a five-year-old would think watching The Greatest Show on Earth versus then a high schooler making a movie about, you know, their senior year and their senior beach trip. Like, so personal and, and so effective, you know, it's sad, like what some of the movie is about, because it it is based off his life, the stuff of his mother. Um, so coming from like that much of a broken home, like must have, like it, it's obvious, like why he's such a great artist because of how much like personal darkness and sadness that he had to deal with and overcome, and then how he's able to channel that into filmmaking. You know, where we've talked about three. You know, I didn't have Babylon on my list, on my list, but we have Babylon, Empire of Light, and the Fablemans all about movie and the process of filmmaking, of projecting film, of how to, like the actual art of film. And it, it's such a great story to have. And I still think it's going to win Best Picture. To me, this is a like the definition of a Best Picture winner. Like when I watch this movie and put it against all the other Best Picture winners, like this lines up perfectly. It, it makes sense. Spielberg does the phenomenal. Like he's going to win another directing award. He's going to be put into an elite company of having three plus Oscars. Uh, just a very good movie and again like representing jewish culture like the hanukkah sequence was so accurate it felt like so accurate that like yeah if i did have a big toy it would have been separated like over the like a couple of nights of just having the one part like felt so real to like my life so many other parts of it um so it's unfortunate like 
the box office numbers doesn't reflect like the quality of the movie. Um, and I, again, it's just like people aren't going to the movies and it's unfortunate. Like now, like people are probably mostly to this movie on demand on some streaming platform. And if that is what they have to do, that's what they have to do for people to watch it. But I would, uh, I would encourage people to go see it. it. It's an emotional journey. It has some very funny parts, some parts that will make you truly think about yourself. And I think in a good way, it's a great reflection film. Judd Hirsch had like his one scene in the movie is like that. Like, it's one of the best scenes and sequences of the year and truly talking about what you would you do for your art? What would you suffer? What, what, what are you willing to do to be part of the circus of entertainment of the circus, of whatever industry you want to be a part of? Um, so I can go on and on about the Fablemans, but that was my number one hands down best movie of the year. That's a great choice. I think it's probably my number 11. Honestly, it just didn't make my list, but not because they didn't like it. I really enjoyed it. It's such a sweet love letter to what movies are. And I thought that was really interesting that, we, you, like you mentioned, we get so many films about movie making. And Babylon is about a very specific time in Hollywood, about you know, let the legacy of film, what actors and films kind of leave behind, what that really means. What What is filmmaking in terms of the whole spectrum of art as humans? While The Fablemans is how films change people and not just a film as in a big motion feature like The Fablemans, but even a little short film that Mr. Young Spielberg or this character in The Fablemans made and how it kind of can affect even the school bullies in his school and how that changes their opinion of him and maybe it changes for even for the good or for worse and I just loved how it was a lot of conversations about art and filmmaking and and what it really means to make a film and and what it means to see people's lives shown on screen and how that affects you and I did connect with it very much like you did I think as people that have dreamed and thought about things and making their own TV shows and movies. It's hard not to relate to the Fablemans. But I don't think there's anyone more who I relate with than my boy Batman. (laughs) And my favorite film of 2022 is The Batman. Matt Reeves grabbed up the vampire boy, Mr. Pattinson himself, and turned him into Batman. And he... Just, I love the way you describe this movie by just talking about the way we discussed it afterwards and how you're so fascinated by this character just openly admitting to wanting to die and just die on the battlefield, basically. And I just love that description because it's so accurate. I mean, it's almost direct dialogue for, from the film, but I have loved Batman ever since I was such a kid, honestly. It's been such a character that's been so constant in my life that I don't even remember when he even entered my life, honestly. It just feels like he's always been there, right, as a, as a second dad. And I never felt that I've seen my favorite Batman on screen until the Batman this year. And I feel that way because of a bunch of different reasons. I think we have so many different variations of this character, and they've all changed in tone and, and the way the costume looks and the way the world looks. But I don't think we've gotten an interpretation of Batman that has been this close to the comics. When I read like The Long Halloween, which is one of my favorite Batman comics of all time, it just feels like so much like 
this world of the Batman. It's like moody and gray and it still has a lot of vibrancy when it comes to the neon lights, the streets and and they utilize the volume heavily throughout this film and it doesn't look like shows that you may watch on Disney Plus that use the volume. Like they really innovated and, and mixed practical effects with these new filmic iterations. So not only is it an amazing story about a character that I really love and what I think is my favorite bat costume, my favorite interpretation of uh, Bruce Wayne in particular as a character and the way he hides and he prefers to be Batman. That's the way I've always kind of seen Batman and in the past. And while I love the Dark Knight trilogy, I love what Nolan did. Those are, they're really, they're spy films, they're heist films. They're basically his chance to make a costume James Bond, basically. You know, they're very suave and slick and sleek. And that's cool. Like, I love that Batman has become a character that we can take and just interpret him. They've become our Greek gods that we can tell stories about. And I love that and about superheroes and, and superhero fandom and fiction. And I love that we can explore it. And it's amazing to see that they brought this character to life once again and brought it to life in a way that I've like always dreamed about as a kid. Like this dirty, gross city that this guy just is obsessed with wearing this costume and and becoming this character because he refuses to live his real life. And man, what a great performance. And it also, the film was made in such hard conditions with the pandemic. It, it had so many delays. Robert Pattinson had so many issues and and. He even had COVID, I think, while filming that movie, which caused the delay. So knowing also the background of how they made that movie and all the, sh the crap they went through to get it done makes it that much more impressive. And I loved The Batman. It is my favorite movie of 2022. Dun, you already have The Batman dun, dun, on your list, Ben. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about The Batman, though? It. Uh, maybe did not talk enough about the Riddler and Paul Dano and how like Paul Dano is just now this like why isn't Paul Dano in more movies? I know he's in the Fablemans, <laughs> but he should be in like every great year movie. for Paul Dano. It was a great, great year, year for Paul Dano, and I hope it keeps on building. Like Paul Dano, I want to see him in more stuff. Like that's an actor who I appreciate, who I think has great ability and acting chops. So give me more Paul Dano. Oh, I totally agree with that, and you're absolutely right. What in a great interpretation of the Riddler. It's creepy. It's modern. I think it takes from a lot of our society today and, and puts a creepy twist on it and gives us a cool villain that it doesn't have to be this straight up brawling fight for Batman, uh, oh, which yeah. is a cool thing to see. Alrighty. I thought it would be a fun way to end this top 10 of 2022 by just bringing it all back. This is worthy. After all, we got to talk about the Oscars. So Ben, before we go here, I just want to ask you two more questions. First, what is one Oscar prediction you have? It's now January. Give me your prediction here. So I could have played this many ways. And I, to me, this is actually the safest thing I could have gone with. And that Top Gun Maverick will walk away with at least one Oscar on Oscar night. I don't know which one. I don't know. If, I feel like sound is like a very good option for it to win. Potentially special effects although i think with avatar like that's probably what's going to win i think cinematography has potential but then beyond that there's maybe another technical category or two but i think it walks away with at least one oscar on oscar night 
I think best song even has a possibility. Yeah. It could win. I mean, it's it's Lady Gaga. I, I think about how many times people have seen that movie and like maybe they're like, oh yeah, I like love that song now because I've seen this movie like three times, you know? Yeah. Well, ideally, like it would win best picture, best director, best actor, <laughs> best supporting actor, best original screenplay, best cinematography. <laughs> oh man. Everything. Sweep the board. <laughs> I have one. Uh, yeah, you did go for such a softball there. So I went, I took a leap. I'm saying them. this is Michelle Yeoh's year. She's going to win Best Actress for Everything Everywhere All at Once. I think it's just a perfect summation of her career. She's such a legacy and icon in, in both here and Chinese films. And it would just be a great way to kind of honor her and honor that film. I, I it's, think that film is so weird and out there that it can't win something like best screenplay or, or best picture i would be amazed if that does happen but i really think it's just too out there for the academy but i think her performance and her being the center of that movie it's perfect for her to win best actress i think it's an amazing demonstration of you being the best actress so it has to i can't wait but ben before we go here Give me just an Oscar hope that you have. Not a prediction. This is something you really just hope it happens in your heart. Yeah, so I'm sticking to maybe a softball kind of thing, but I really do want Brendan Fraser to win for The Whale for Best Actor. I know there's been a lot of controversy with the film. You know, People don't love Aronofsky. The criticism, again, like I said way earlier, was just like, it's, I, I just don't think it's very fair. He Fraser just did a great performance in the movie. So emotional. It's so unexpected. The control he has with his voice in the movie. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's more sound mixing with that, but just really great facial movement. And, and that like that's the key. The entire role is like how he uses his face and, and to deliver a lot of the emotion and just like unsaid dialogue through his eyes and, I really, I hope he does win. It seems like he's probably not at this point, but it's still early to tell, but I really want him to win. I, I think he deserves it. I think this movie is criminally attacked. So Brendan Fraser, best actor of the whale. John, what about you? What's your one Oscar hope? I would really love that just because he seems like he's just the sweetest human. Everyone seems to love him this year and, and what a sweet nightcap it would be for, for his 2022 career. It just would be a perfect time for him to win. Uh, there's definitely hot competition, and we'll talk about that soon here at Worthy. But my Oscar hope is a kind of curveball. It's not even a film on my top 10, but I really, really enjoyed The Good Nurse, as I mentioned earlier. And I think Eddie Redmayne deserves Best Supporting Actor. And it would be a nice little just a little nod to that movie. I think that film is extremely well written and it's extremely nuanced and we don't honor nuanced performances as much. And it's a character, if you don't know, it's it's called The Good Nurse and it's about a character who was basically killing patients. And I won't say why or how or get into any of the specifics, but he was killing patients and getting away with it because of the medical system. And they go kind of very in-depth in it in a very very laid back and non-dramatic way which i really appreciated it but i think eddie rain Ed, eddie redmayne has already won an oscar before i think he does an amazing performance because what we're used to seeing from him is a is a big exaggerated performance these 
wild performances where he's Stephen Hawking's and, you know, he's disabled. So he has to really transform himself to really portray this character. But here we have someone who is, he's one of those complex characters that hides in a shell and he, he really tries to hide himself and he changes around in certain people and he gets pinned in certain positions and really reveals who he is as a person. And that's extremely hard to do as an actor. And I think it's extremely subtle and it would be a great nod for that kind of performance and that kind of acting. So thank you for joining us. I hope everyone had a great 2022 and we're on to worthy episode what ben what are we almost at 40 Woo! i can't believe that that's so exciting yeah it's crazy is there anything else that you would like to end us with at the top 10 here of 2022 go to the movies please go to the movies go to the movies and uh turning red people i know where to find you I refuse to let this end on the turning red hate. So I will agree with you and say, go to the movies. I think it's essential to keep, you know, the business alive, to keep us getting new movies and great films. So it's easy to commit to this. Go to one film in the theaters a month. That's not too expensive. It's one movie a month. And that alone, I think will change your perspective on some of these films and some of these experiences. Thanks for joining us. I'm John. And I'm Ben. And And this this is is Worthy. Worthy. Thanks for listening to Worthy, the breakdown of every Best Picture winner from past to present. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on Instagram at Worthy Podcast, on Twitter at Worthy Pod, and on Facebook at Worthy Podcast. Any inquiries can be submitted to worthysubmissions at gmail.com. Again, that's worthysubmissions at gmail.com.